Hi, everybody. It's very good to be with you all. And uh, before we uh, go into the teaching, though, I feel like the, I want to do a little bit of ministry. Could you all stand? And uh, I'd like to mix and match. We have a team down from uh, Redding, California. Could you guys all raise your hands? Um, okay, so why don't we uh, have you guys step out and mix it up a little bit for a second here. Um, I just feel like uh, I got a picture. And I was sharing actually with Dean Wiley and, and with Isaac uh, when they came up to visit me a couple days ago. I was sharing with them a dream I had had a week ago. Um, and in the dream, I felt like I got a picture of the enemy's strategy towards Oakland. And I believe towards this school because I believe that you are critical to God's purposes in Oakland and in the whole inner Bay Area. And I felt like I saw a siege being laid against you, that I saw forces being arrayed. I saw fiery darts being flung. I saw attitudes kind of falling or, or perceptions being um, influenced by the enemy. Bad attitudes being fomented, accusations being encouraged. And, and uh, obviously we're way above that because we're sons and daughters of God, seated with Jesus in heavenly places. And we don't need any of that stuff in our lives, right? And so when we were worshiping just now, I got a picture of armor being placed on each one of you. And I just want to release some prayer for that. And, uh, you know, one thing about armor is is that you need an armor bearer because you can't put on armor by yourself. You need somebody to strap it on your back, you know, somebody to help you on, on the feet area. You know, it takes a little bit of work, and that's why we need one another. And so I just want to release right now uh, an arming, that this, that, that this room today is an armory, okay? And you guys are getting, you know, like, I don't know how many saw Matrix about 10 years ago, but just that, that long line of rifles and armaments that came out, you know, it's like, what do you need? Hey, let's, let's strap it on. So anyway, I just want you guys to receive right now. So why don't you, especially, we just want to pray for you guys that are here in this school. So if you're in the school, put your hands up right now. We just want to gather around you and just begin to pray. So we move around until everybody whose hands are up has somebody around them right now. We want to just release armor. And I believe God's going to give some very unique armor. I don't think it's just the standard breastplate and helmet and so forth. Uh, come on, there's a few people that aren't getting prayer yet. So put, as soon as you have somebody praying over here, you can put your hand down. Okay, so we can just see if there's anybody else that needs prayer right now. Okay. All right. If you haven't gotten, gotten anybody praying over you, just keep your hand up for a second. If, you're, if you have two people on a person, can you guys move around a little bit? Excellent. So I just want to release you right now to pray for a couple of minutes and just bless them with the kind of armor that God gives you words about. Because it may be stuff you've never seen, like a force field or a ray gun, or you might have some kind of a super nuclear, you know, armament or some grenade that God's going to give or that the Lord's releasing right now tools that will blast darkness away. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless every single person in this place and we stand together as one against the against the strategies of the wicked one and we just say there is no contest here. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. And right now we just raise the banner of Jesus over this place and we release right now the armaments of Jesus 
onto every single person, Lord. We just release the helmet of salvation, Lord. We release the breastplate of righteousness. We release, Lord, the supernatural force fields of heavenly protection. We release the the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We release the beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. We release weapons of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Lord, that there would just be such a great clothing of every single person in this room with strength. We bless you with strength in the name of Jesus. We bless you with courage in the name of Jesus. We bless you with humility in the name of Jesus. We bless you right now with boldness. Boldness in the name of Jesus Christ right now. Just receive, receive, receive that strength right now. Hallelujah. Just receive it. Strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth, and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. And now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work inside of us, unto him be glory. Unto him be glory in the church. Unto him be glory thank you Jesus unto him be glory thank you Father amen amen thank you Jesus so right now just put your hands on your ears Lord I just pray for fresh ears open ears Lord Bless every ear, Lord, to be able to receive what you have to say today, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that it wouldn't just be the hearing of the ear, but the opening of the heart to receive revelation and transformation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat, everybody. We're going to do more ministry towards the end of our time together. And then, uh, but I was wondering, is there, are there any soul winners in the room? Okay, how many of you have led somebody to the Lord in the last six weeks. Is there somebody in the room that's done that? Okay. The first hand I saw was Superman right here. So I want to just bless you with this book. It's called Revival Culture. And it's all about how we prepare for the coming harvest. I spoke on that a little bit two times ago when I was here. How do we get ready for what God's about to do on the earth? And uh, I believe that we're on the verge of a billion soul harvest. And that's what that book's all about. And I believe that we run a real big risk right now of not being ready. Okay, because I've been involved. I was I was saved during the Jesus movement. And uh, the church had a lot of prophetic warning that God was about to do something on the earth. But the church didn't get their act together. And a lot of the harvest was lost. Because when God started moving on the young people of that day, there was just a, there was just a lot of prejudice in the church. There was a lot of, you know resistance to the dirty rotten hippies that were you know these guys are rebellious draft dodgers whatever that was back in the 70s but look at look at youth culture now i mean most revivals when they break out it's always among the youth 
about three quarters, you guys, about three quarters of people who get saved in any move of God are going to be under 25 years old, okay? And so you guys are perfectly poised to reach the harvests here, but it's not going to happen unless we really prepare our hearts. You know, that when missionaries go to a mission field, you know, many of them, they won't even share the gospel a whole lot for the first year. They'll just study the people they're seeking to reach, you know? And uh, have we been studying the lost? Do we understand what, what the enemy has done to blind the minds of them that don't believe? Do we understand the keys of the kingdom and how they fit into the keyholes of the human heart? You know, have we been really, in a sense, I mean, if you're a hunter, you, go out, you study the animals that you're about to hunt. You know what I mean? If you're a fisherman, you, you study the fish and you know what bait works for them, right? Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. But we don't really think so much about, gosh, what's going on in their hearts right now? And not even what, I mean, it's pretty easy to diagnose the sin patterns, okay? What I'm concerned with is can we diagnose the kingdom longings that are driving people inside their hearts and ultimately many of them fall into sin patterns trying to meet the need of the hunger inside that can't be met met by anybody else but Jesus Christ. You understand? And so people are being driven by these hungers. Now, I don't know how many of you have been in like an AA situation, but they'll often say something like this. They'll say, you'll say to them, I have a drinking problem. They'll say, no, drinking is your solution. What's your problem? You guys understand that? Most of the people in the world that are involved in crime, they're involved in, in drugs, they're involved in prostitution, they're draw, involved in all the stuff we see on the streets here. Most of them don't have... Let me, let me put it carefully. They don't have a drinking problem. In other words, they don't have a sin problem. Sin's the solution. The problem is they're not lined up with God. They're not tapped into the resource that only the only resource that can truly meet their deepest longings. And so the question is, what are the longings? How can we connect those longings to Jesus? And how can we uproot the very symptoms that are ultimately destroying them and destroying our culture? Okay. So we have a massive task in front of us. I want to give away one more book, too. This is Destiny Finder, and this is what today's about. We're going to be focusing this morning a bit on Destiny, and then, I, and then me and, a, and some of our team are coming back at about 2.30 for those of you that are signed up. And I think the sign-up is still open, right? Can we still include some more people? And so if you're interested, if you know, I, I teach in Bethel School, and it's probably, if you total all the three years together, almost 2,000 students. I'll tell you something. I work a lot with second-year students, and about half of them at the end of two years of school don't know exactly what they're supposed to be doing for Jesus. How many of you feel like that? Like, okay, God, I know I'm coming to the end of a season, but I don't know the next step. Well, this tool is designed to help you hear from God and understand who you're called to be and then how to take a journey towards that. So whose birthday is today? Is there a birthday in the room? Okay, let's broaden it. This week. Anybody's birthday in this week? Okay. Can we reserve this for her? Is somebody a good friend who will take it and just offer it to her as a blessing? Excellent. So let's just give it to her. Say happy birthday for me. And, um, and if you guys want some books, I have them later. But anyway, open your Bibles with me to Ephesians 1. We're going to speed through some texts of Scripture. We're going to kind of lay a foundation for this afternoon's gathering. And so let me tell you a story as I begin. Um, I got saved. I lived in San Francisco. My parents were hippies, so I lived in the counterculture of San Francisco. I think I took LSD with my parents about 50 times before I 
took LSD for my last time. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, I probably smoked pot with my parents a thousand times. We lived in a big commune in San Francisco growing up. I, I never heard about Jesus until I started hitchhiking around the country. And then Christians would pick me up and they would talk to me and share with me. And I'd argue with them and I'd tell them they were full of it. And then uh, on one particular faithful day, a woman who I'd heard of before, she was infamous Jesus freak, picked me up. And uh, I argued with her the whole way, about 25 miles. But then ultimately something broke in my heart. And I didn't pray a sinner's prayer that day. I just prayed a prayer like this. Jesus, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And that just started. I think I was truly born again at that moment. And within the next uh, two weeks, I had this vision of Jesus. I had many encounters. And then my life was just shifting radically from that point on. I ended up uh, actually really giving my life to the Lord and entering into a discipleship process on an Indian reservation in Montana, hitchhiking up there. And those guys took me in and cared for me, and I had some of my first inklings of what my destiny might be, okay? And it was a really interesting time for me because these guys were illiterate Indians, Blackfeet. They had come to the Lord through a personal visitation of Jesus about 40 years earlier, and they were in a bar. The guy was drinking himself to death. He was already dying of of, uh, liver and stomach problems. And so he decided, I'm just going to drink myself until I die. And Jesus appeared in the bar, and about 30 people in the bar saw Jesus. And everybody screamed and ran out. And this guy ended up coming to the Lord. He got healed, and then he began a ministry of signs and wonders. And um, and towards the end of his life, when he was like in, close to 80, um, I showed up on the doorstep, and he took me in and discipled me, and I lived with him for about six months. But then I returned to San Francisco because I felt like I had a calling. So on the way to San Francisco, I did about six months in a discipleship school. And then in 1977, I found myself in San Francisco as part of a pretty radical ministry that was reaching out on the streets. We were taking people every night into our house, ministering to them, Bible studies every night, every morning, working jobs, giving 100% of our money to the ministry because that's what Christians did. You know, they, they, they laid their money at the apostles' feet, and they just, they just gave it all to Jesus. Anyway, so about two years into this process, we were running this house. I hadn't met my wife yet, but um, I got a call from our headquarters up in Eureka, California, and they called us and said, hey, there's a guy coming through. We want you to pick him up and host him for a night or two, and uh, he's, he's from India. He's planted, a, I think by that time, about 2,000 churches. Now it's probably closer to 15,000, but he, uh, he's just coming through on the Greyhound bus, pick him up, and, you know, Make him feel welcome. So I was the one assigned to do it. I went down to the bus station on 7th and Mission and, and uh, looked around, you know, couldn't find anybody. And, and then all of a sudden behind a trash can, this guy steps out. He's about four, four and a half feet tall. And he looked a lot like Yoda. He kind of walked like this or maybe E.T. And, uh, and he, he talked a little bit like Yoda, too. You know, he had a really strong accent and, and he, his, you know, phraseology was a little bit mixed up. But, but um Anyway, I brought him home, spent time with him, and let him share the Bible study that night. It was very cool because he gave an altar call after sharing about his ministry. And this couple who had just come off the streets that night got saved. Okay. And they, they responded. I mean, there's only 15, 20 people in the room. And they raised their hands at the altar call. They came forward. He said, well, could you write down your name so I could remember to pray for you in the coming season? So they wrote down their names. And his eyes got really big when he saw their names. And he went to his briefcase and pulled out a piece of paper with their names on it. And he said, the Lord gave me your names two months ago in India, and I've been praying for you ever since, okay? So I thought, okay, that's, 
if that's not a miracle, that'll do until a real one comes. You know, it's like, you know, you don't see those things very often, you know, where there's that kind of accuracy. Anyway, so the next morning the guy gets up and he says, um, I said, how did you sleep? And he said, well, it wasn't very good. I know he was in a bunk room with like six other guys and one of them had really bad feet odor. I mean, it was just like the worst. It was, it was toxic. And it was the kind of thing where your gas mask probably wouldn't even keep it out. And um, he said, no, you got to understand, I sleep on village floors, you know, with next to a goat, you know, in India. He said, no, the, the Lord kept me up last night talking to me about you and your calling. And sort of like, hush. <laughs> it's like, okay. And there was another, one of my good friends was in the room, and he just started prophesying over me my future. And he said, you're called to be an apostle. And you're going to walk in apostolic grace. But he says, that's not the first thing you're going to do, though. Your first thing is you're going to do the work of an evangelist. Okay. And he didn't know kind of that I was starting a ministry with about six other guys, seven other guys to mobilize Christians to preach the gospel in the streets of San Francisco and Berkeley. So we're already doing that. And he said, and after that, the Lord's going to call you to pastor and you're going to pastor for a long season. And then he said, it takes... He, he said it takes 20 years to, for God to form an apostle. And, um, and so I said, okay, I'll do that. And then he said, and then after that time, you're going you're gonna to enter into a broader ministry and affect the body of Christ in a greater way. So I thought, okay. I had already had certain things the Lord had spoken to my heart personally, but I didn't know how it all fit together. But since that time, there's been different prophetic words over my life, as I know there have been over many of your lives, that you are a unique individual. Jesus said it like this, every hair on your head is numbered. Do you realize out of 7 billion people on our planet, you have a fingerprint that doesn't match a single one of them? Do you realize that even if you had an identical twin, there are things that happen in your life that affect what's called the epigenome that actually turns on and off certain gene switches on your genes that will actually make you still unique even though you might have the same chromosome pattern as your identical twin. Because God is into uniqueness. God loves diversity. God created such a beautiful, diverse... I mean, look at the difference of cultures, the difference of races, the difference of, you know, people and the way that they think and the way they look. I mean, even your iris pattern in your eye or your voice pattern is so different than the other person. Okay? Is it possible that your destiny could be different than the person sitting next to you? And there's a lot of things in Christianity that we're all required to do. You know, hey, get saved. That's an easy one. You know, we're all supposed to read our Bible every day. We're all supposed to pray every day, witness to our friends, give some money to the church. You know, it's like there's a certain set of things that kind of are standard fare for every believer. However, I believe that there are certain things that you are called to do that only you can do in the way that God has designed you to do it. Let me show you a verse. You're already in Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians 2 and we'll start here. It says in Ephesians 2 that we are his workmanship. Verse 10. 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, this whole first portion of chapter two is a talking about the darkness that he called you out of because you were involved in some very unique darkness. Even if you're in a similar darkness to the person sitting next to you, it was unique because you were experiencing it. Okay, that darkness that you were bound into before Jesus set you free was going to ultimately pull you into hell, but he came. God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, has made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you're saved. And he's raised us up. You know, it's like that whole passage of Scripture. He's raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show forth the exceeding riches of his grace. In us, you are a trophy, you are a demonstration, you are an amazing flat screen TV televising to the rest of the planet and to the invisible realm. You're televising the beauty of the grace of God. But you're not doing it in exactly the same way as the person sitting next to you. You've got some unique colors, you've got some unique dynamics, you've got some unique gifting, you've got some unique history. I mean, even the brokenness, even the damage, even the pain of your past, God has turned into beautiful spun gold and woven it into the beauty of who he's called you to be. Every time he redeems a broken place inside of you, it becomes a jewel in the crown of God's purposes in your life. You are his workmanship. And that word workmanship is the word poema. It means that you are God's masterpiece. You are God's, uh, his, his his magnus opus, you know, that's the great work that you do. That's what the word magnus opus means. In other words, like God wrote a, a, a thousand symphonies, but then he wrote you. You are his supreme creation. Okay. And that makes him pretty proud, you know. I'm not proud in the, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so I want you to see this, though. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And we say, okay, we all know we're supposed to do good works, right? Every one of us. We're supposed to forgive people. We're supposed to love people. We're supposed to share the Bible with people. We're supposed to, you know, in other words, those good works. We're supposed to feed the poor and the hungry and so forth. That's our job. But look at the next phrase because it says, which God himself prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Get it? So he's not talking about the generic good works. Remember when they came out with generic products in the store and they were all yellow labeled? All ye- you, know, the, you couldn't tell them apart except the fact that the boxes were different sizes and they had different words. But they were all looking just the same. And there's this kind of pressure in Christianity to cookie cutter all of us into a one form. See, unity does not u- mean uniformity. Hello? In other words, there is a diversity in the heart of God that he absolutely loves. He loves unity too. And behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity is something way in the heart of God. But God never wants to compromise diversity for unity. He wants those two to flow together because ultimately the synergy of all that he has made is only found when that which is diverse to its extreme is brought together in one harmonious flow, like a symphony It's all in tune, playing off the same piece of music that the composer wrote. That we all have our different instruments and we all have our different expression of our instruments. Some are first violin, some are second, but we all play together off the same sheet. And we end up producing a beauty and a sound that just cannot be compared. Okay? 
We're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, let me just talk about one thing that will come up again and again throughout the day as we do this workshop a little bit later. Because we're going to go into detail. We're going to help you actually discover some things about yourself you maybe didn't even realize were key to your destiny. And we're going to help coach you through the process. So if you're interested in this, you need to sign up for it this morning so we can print enough notes and get this out to you. But if, and then make sure we have enough of our team here to be able to coach you through the process. Because we're going to give you some personal time kind of working through some of these things with you. Okay, so, so you guys know that. But I want to just address the issue of time. Okay, there is a branch of the church that believes that God sat at the beginning of time and wrote a computer code that is being played out right now based on God's sovereign choice and really irrespective of any free will or notion of free will that we have. Okay, it's generally called Calvinism. Okay, and that's one perspective, and there's a lot of real good perspective in Calvinism that I love. But I wouldn't want that to be the only food on my table. Okay. On the other hand, there's Arminianism that exalts the the personal choice of human beings. And their perspective is more like, well, God can only know what is knowable. He doesn't know and won't control your free will. And so therefore, God doesn't know you're going to choose. So he's sitting at the end of time being shocked and surprised by all the choices you made. But that seems a little fishy, too, because if God's sovereign... He should have some awareness of what the choices are that you're going to make before you make them, right? Okay, so you have these two poles, one on the one side. God is sovereign over all things. The other one is you have free will. Where is the balance? Okay, you draw a line between those two concepts, and basically I don't think God is at any point on that line. Why? Because it's, I think the presupposition of the argument is wrong. Because God is not trapped by time. He doesn't sit at the beginning of time, pre-orchestrating all of time, nor does he sit at the end of time, be surprised by what happened in time. Because God exists outside of time in a place called eternity. Time is a construct that God made. Time is a limited reality. God can enter time, but God isn't bound by time. In fact, God exists outside of time and interacts with all time at the same time. Okay. Do you, do you get that? Okay. He's sitting outside of time, interacting with all time at the same time. Therefore, he is simultaneously able to be sovereignly working all things together for good, even in the midst of your most stupid choices. God is able to shape them and work with them because he's interacting with every single point of time at the same moment. But he's also able to allow you free will and, in a sense, allow you the privilege of even co-creating the world that you live in Because your choices are affecting the outcome of God's sovereign will at every moment of the unfolding of time. Does does that make sense? And so this is crucial to the whole destiny question because you say, well, God, if God's already ordained my destiny, then what am I worried about? No, you can make some bad choices. You can sabotage your destiny. You can take destiny detours. You can settle for something less than what God ordained for you okay on the other hand you know we can also i believe that god in his sovereignty ordained the universe not just for fellowship 
You know, we say, well, God created humanity because he wants fellowship. I believe that's true. But I believe God wants more than fellowship. I think he wants partners. I think he wants people to co-labor, co-participate with him. I think he loves to create together. I think he loves to enlist a group of people and say, let's change Oakland. Let's bring transformation to the inner Bay Area. Let's set some people free who would otherwise be hopelessly bound. Let's see them find their destiny. Let's see them become who I have called them to be. And let's see it unfold in the complexity of not a predetermined outcome that I programmed 10,000 years ago that we're just waiting for the next, you know, the next ball to fall into the right slot, you know. On the other hand, we're not, we're not trusting anything to just random thought that we know that he wins. Okay? But the fact that God sees you at this moment, sitting here in this room, he also sees every single one of you at this moment in his time forming in your mother's womb. That's now to him. It's whatever 20, 30 years ago to you, but it's now to him. And he also sees you now, right now, a thousand years from now, sitting at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Because he's not in time, he can interact with all time at the same time. A picture that might help you with this is just think about a keyboard. Okay, an 88-key keyboard, and you're looking at the, the reality of this keyboard. Okay, we're stuck in the chromatic scale going forward step by step, going from one note to the next in time. But God's able to play with ten fingers. And he probably has a lot more fingers than that. And he's able to play the high notes and the low notes at the same moment because that's who he is. So he's able to play the future at this moment in his time. That's why he can be both assured of the outcome because he is. That's why he can prophesy the outcome without being the controlling force that is limiting human will in order to bring about what he wants. There's a participatory dynamic that God loves that I believe is key to the understanding of your destiny. How much time do I have? Five more minutes? Can we tackle some real scripture in five minutes? Let's see. Back to chapter one real quick. I'll just read it. I can't comment on it because I don't have the time. But Paul is praying after having given the church of Ephesus some of the most incredible promises through verses 1 through 14 of who we are in Christ, who Christ is in us, what our inheritance is in God. I mean, the incredible menu of who Jesus is in his people. He goes through that and then he begins, Paul begins to pray in verse 15. He says, therefore, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you three specific things. Okay. But he starts here with this idea, the foundation for it is that he wants to, first of all, give you a context for understanding the three things that he's going to say to you. And that context is found in this phrase, spirit of wisdom and revelation. I can't teach on it, but I'll just say wisdom is knowledge that's being practiced, that's being lived out. And so wisdom is basically the, the result of a maturation process that all of us are in or going through. We need wisdom that is based in true knowledge. 
Okay, but we also need something else in addition to that because knowledge alone puffs up, but love builds up. So we need this other element called revelation. And revelation is the direct contact with God through the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing into our minds understandings that we couldn't have come to with our natural minds, but God is able to bring us into those understandings beyond. So in the knowledge of him, so the wisdom and revelation isn't about knowing a million things in the universe. It's about knowing Jesus, right? That we, he wants us to know him. And that word knowledge there, the word experience, experiential knowledge. And he goes a little further, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And then now he gets into the three things he wants you to know. The first is the hope of his calling. The second one is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then finally, verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? Okay, we won't get into power right now, but I want to touch the other two in the five minutes or four minutes we have now left. Okay. The first thing is, is that you have a hope of his calling in your life. That word calling literally means summons, that God has summoned you to himself. You were on this earth. You could care less at a certain point in your development, but God summoned you and you heard the call. You aligned your heart with God. You repented of the things that would have hindered you from becoming a full-on believer, a follower of Jesus, and you began a journey towards him. Okay, now that journey towards him began the moment you were saved. In fact, you could almost argue that it began years before the first time you heard of him or the first crack in the door of your heart toward him, that that began in your heart at that time, right? Okay, but it was sealed. You crossed a threshold when you accepted him as your Lord and Savior, and now you're on this journey into a heavenly reality. And we're all going essentially the same place. We're all going to be at the wedding supper of the Lamb, a big buffet in heaven, okay? All you can eat, all right? And we're all headed there, but guess what? We have a different starting point, each one of us, so therefore our journey is going to be different and unique. We're all journeying in the same direction, but we're coming from different places like spokes in a wheel going towards a hub, Right? And that journey towards his, the fulfillment of his calling to be with him forever is our journey of destiny. It is the unique walking out of his presence in your life to become who he has uniquely designed you to be so that you can be a blessing to the world around you and carry his beauty and his love to others. Okay, that is your personal destiny. The hope of his calling is that you will someday be with him forever And that someday be with him forever begins right now on a journey of discovery. And I want to invite you into that discovery this afternoon. We're going to be going deeper into that discovery. You're going to come away with some real practical tools for knowing who you are and where you're going and how you can get there. Okay? But that is the hope of his calling is that you would discover. Because here's the deal. That when Jesus died, like white light... Shining into a prism, he refracted himself in a million colors. You guys understand that? You ever seen a prism with a rainbow against the wall and it kind of flows like this? Okay, Jesus is manifesting himself in his body. It says, now unto principalities and powers might be made known by the church. The manifold wisdom of God, the multicolored wisdom of God. You are that wisdom. You are the beauty of Jesus being expressed as only you can express it. And you also have things to do for him, works that he has called you to do that are uniquely yours to accomplish in this world before you go and be with him. And that is your destiny. Okay, but point number two 
is he wants us to know what is the exceeding, I'm sorry, actually verse 18. So the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, inheritance is interesting because it's something you get after somebody dies, right? Okay. His inheritance, God doesn't die. So, and God doesn't have a father because he is the father to leave an inheritance for him. So when it says his inheritance, you could extrapolate from that as many teachers do and say, well, his inheritance is what he gets out of this. Like if I was to ask you, well, what does God get out of all this? What would you say? What? Okay, he gets us, right? I mean, we are his prize. Okay, we are his reward. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. I mean, we are that. And that is certainly one way that you can understand this verse. But I understand it a little bit differently. Because I believe when it says his inheritance, it's not talking about the inheritance he's receiving, but rather it's talking about the inheritance that he has laid in store for us. Okay, so he wants to know us to know, first of all, what is the hope of his calling? So each one of us identifying our own unique destiny treasure. The second thing he wants you to know is what is the exceeding greatness. I'm sorry. I keep jumping ahead to exceeding greatness. What he wants us to know what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Okay, so Paul is the master of run-on sentences. Okay, how many of you flunked English? I did. But if you, if you look at the... No, I didn't. But if you look at this passage... You can actually see that if you, if you were to take this and put it on a chalkboard and graph it, like they used to have you graph it in high school. Okay, what is he talking about? He's talking about his inheritance, right? Where is his inheritance to be found? In the saints. Okay, what kind of inheritance is it? It's glorious. It's a glory and it's rich. Okay, but it's his inheritance in the saints. So here's how I understand this, and this is the, what I'll close with is that I have an inheritance from Jesus. It's his inheritance that he has laid in store for me. The only bummer is that he broke up that inheritance into about a million pieces and he stuck my inheritance piece by piece inside of each one of you. Hello? (laughs) And in order for me to get my inheritance... I got to get inside of you. And if you want your inheritance, you got to get inside of me. In other words, God designed this thing so that none of us could be lone ranger destiny discoverers going out to blaze our own personal trails into the universe because part of the resource I need to become who I'm called to be, unfortunately, got stuck inside of you. Like they're pieces of my machine that I gotta, I gotta dig around inside the dirt of your life to pull out the jewels that are in you in order for me to become fully me. And if I fail to connect with you, if I fail to find what the Bible calls fellowship with you, I will never achieve the fullness of who God's called me to be because the pieces that will make me whole are in you. You are part of the body. Like that's another analogy of the same picture. You are the foot or the the toenail or the belly button or the, you know, whatever. You are that. And those, I don't know if belly buttons are that essential to my well-being as as part of the body. But there are pieces that are, okay? I can't function as a part of the body unless I'm connected to the rest of the body, right? So 
Destiny discovery is all about finding the gold in each other. Finding the the missing pieces of me that God has embedded in you so that I can pull out the best in you and link it to the best in me so that we can be the best expression of Jesus that the world has ever seen. Okay? I don't even want that. Stand up with me. We're going to go into a little bit more on this with the what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us? Because there's a power that is released in synergy. When the parts of the body come together, when the pieces, the, the glorious riches of His inheritance starts to come together, something shifts, you guys. Something shifts. Can I have our team from, from BSSM come up here real quickly? just want to have you guys stand kind of along the front facing out because I think God's going to give you specific words for specific people. This isn't the only way to pull out the gold. But this is one good way to do it. Okay? So we're going to release a little ministry right now. And then we'll pull it back together for some corporate prayer in just a minute. But I want you guys to be looking at who the Lord is pointing out to you right now. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to just make a beeline for them with the word that God's given you. And that word to unearth a piece of their calling. A piece of their calling. Because God's going to release hope today. God is going to silence the wicked one today. Those subtle little accusations that have been in your brain are no longer valid. They've never been valid. They are lies from the pit of hell. We're going to learn how to laugh at lies today. We're going to learn how to celebrate the goodness of the living God. We're going to learn to extract or to present our absolute confidence to Him that He is sovereign. Not sovereign in the sense that He controls our free will, but sovereign in the sense that He is above time interacting with every aspect of who we are at all times to shape us and mold us to work all things together for good because He loves us. So, Father, I just ask you to lay your hands on each of my brothers and sisters in the school of urban missions. Let your power come upon them right now. Just receive right now. Let his power begin to come upon you. And I just want to release our team now to just, as the Lord has led you, just to begin to move through the group and just bless what the Father is doing in their lives right now.